Well, good morning. I'm glad you're here, uh, and uh, welcome into worship. Welcome to a new sermon series today uh, that gets at some of the dynamics that Martha set us up for so well in worship and how God chooses us, and we each have a story in how that plays out, and then what happens because of it. Um, and so I'm glad you're here kind of showing up for that and showing up for the process and uh, and, and for what God's going to do through that. Uh, and uh, we're going to kind of set that up today and then walk through in the next five weeks, actually some of the specifics of how we live into that calling, uh, what it means to be a light to the world. In particular, in a time when um, those the answers maybe aren't as clear. Some of the answers that we had in the past maybe not maybe not working as well for us and living in a time where maybe it is harder for things to come together. We're still trying to kind of find our way and I'll talk about that in a second. But what does it mean to be a distinct people when it is hard to find distinctiveness and, and really to come together around anything? So let me kind of give you a, a thought to, to begin with and then we'll go from there. Someone has said that we are all either nobodies or we're a nation. Now sit with that for a second, because I think it gets at the dynamics that we, we, we struggle with and the kind of dynamics that are always going through uh, the lives of communities and peoples and, and even nations in the world all the time, but specifically now, the dynamics of whether we will sort of end up all so unapologetically individualistic and kind of in our issues, uh, as, as sort of, again, as Martha set us up, sort of, sort of in our humanness, so much so that at the end of the day, we're, we kind of like, it's just me alone against the whole world. Is our humanness going to divide us? Are we going to just kind of keep dividing until like there's just me and I don't even get along with myself that well? Or are those very same things, those very same dynamics and issues and our humanness going to find coherence and bring us together? I mean, isn't that kind of the question of our time? And when we come together, is it going to be around the right things? Uh, you know, like sometimes you don't plan things, you just kind of notice. And one of the things, the conversation that I had last week, maybe five times with different people who didn't talk to each other, was how uh, you can come around, uh, fear can motivate you, anger can motivate you. Uh, you, you. You can come around a lot of different things and get stuff done, but is that going to hold? And, and so I wonder, does it get where, where we want to go? I wonder if we're living in a time where some of the things that kind of held us together are breaking down, and it feels like we wonder if anything's going to bring us back together. We're either nobodies or we're a nation, and we're trying to decide. Like, we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to, to, to see, see uh, the answer to that question. And this series is about that. It is about trying to figure out what holds us together, what unites us, and then what motivates us, in fact, propels us into a, a sense of meaning and purpose in the world. We will either be nobodies or will, will, or will we be a nation? And the, the grand arc of uh, the story of Scripture is God taking nobodies and turning them into a nation. That's where I'm getting to. That's what, this is just what God does. The hope of the gospel is this, that that is the work of God in us and in people. Taking people who have no other distinctive identifier and turning them into a people that are distinctive. And so where it feels like maybe things are coming apart, maybe there's some good in that because what happens is then God puts it back together around things more solid. 
more substantial, more life-giving. The grand arc of the story of Scripture is God turning nobodies into a nation, and not so much a nation in a geopolitical sense, not a nation-state, not an earthly kingdom exerting political power, but a people united in their distinctiveness for different reasons. This is God's MO to turn isolated and broken down individuals into beloved children, a people. And so today today we gather in that hope. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to put legs on that hope, so to speak. We, We are as a church with our leaders having conversations about what that means for us now. Who are we and what is God calling us to? How are we distinct? How is God calling us to be distinct after a time of a lot of disruption? Uh, a, a time when we've been wondering, are we really a people? What And what will hold us together? So I want to go through a couple scriptures this morning, one from the Old Testament, one from the New, that get at this very dynamic, and then we'll come back to the one that Eric read to us uh, from Genesis. Because uh, the, the idea of God turning nobodies into a nation is, a, is, is an arc that goes through the, all of scripture. We find it in the Old Testament, this is how we understand the story of Israel, what God is doing with the people that he claims out of slavery in Egypt and turning in them to a distinct people in the world. It's how we understand Jesus choosing the disciples and then establishing the church, taking people who had no, they're just fishermen, just regular ordinary people, and turning them into a world-changing movement. And then that's how we then understand ourselves uh, and, and God's work in us. So let's go to the Old Testament first. This is chapter 19 of Exodus. Uh, in the story of uh, the Exodus coming out of Egypt, uh, they, so they're out of Egypt, and now this is right before they get the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments would be the law, how God is going to guide them and make them distinctive. This is what we read. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. And what we know, the great challenge of Exodus is for the people to live into that understanding, that self-understanding. There was a sense of God's act and God's choosing. And then the real challenge was for the people to, to believe it, to, to, to let every other identifier go away and then to see themselves as the thing that God says they are. And that was the work of God in, in the Old Testament and the dynamics of the Old Testament. All the whole, although the whole earth is mine, you will serve a particular role in the world. Priests, a go-between between God and the rest of the world. I'm going to bring you together as a part of bringing the whole world together. And that's the dynamic that we see play out. Now jump all the way to the New Testament, past the Gospels, past Jesus, the life, death, resurrection, to the words of Peter speaking now to the church and see if you don't hear some similarities. He says Peter, uh, in, in 1 Peter 2, but you are a chosen people, like literally almost word for word, a, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous or wonderful light. Once you were not a people, once you were nobodies, now you're, now you're a nation. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Those identifiers, a holy uh, or set-apart nation, a chosen people, that word choosing is, is important, we'll get to. God's special possession. Now, we got looking, uh, and some of you who grew up in church or grew up in churches that uh, use the King James Version might have heard this in a different, a different language. And this is why we update our tra- Bible translations, by the way, because words mean th- different things through time. And so that uh, phrase, God's special possession in King James, is translated a peculiar people. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're peculiar. Yeah. And I know that's weird, but that's right, because you're a peculiar people. Like, that's like, so, so like, that's a weird word, right? And none of us really wants to be peculiar for the wrong reason, but like, it does kind of help get at the nuance of this. It's like, is, is, is it that God chooses us because we're special? Or is it because God chooses us because we're special, right? Or are we special because God chooses us? What does it mean to be God's special possession, a, a unique people in the world, to be peculiar, to be distinctive, to be special? And what is it that makes us distinctive? That, that's what we'll get to today and really why that's important. Because what we know is this, we will gather around anything you can imagine. We will sort of, in sociological terms, we will align around the weirdest stuff. We will find commonality with people and community with people around things that kind of can't hold together. So let me just, we're going to do a little exercise to kind of get at that. You guys want to play a little game? Usually I play this game, you have to get up and move to different sides of the rooms. So the room. So let's not do that. I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand. All right, so you with me? Are we invested in this? Okay, I see a little bit of agreement. Okay, okay, so you, you're like, I don't know what the thing is that I'm saying yes to, so I don't know. Okay, so let's just see. Like, how many of you are dog people? Look at all the hands. Like, yes, yes. How many? Yes, dog people. Uh, and you know why you're, we have so many dog people? Because dogs are better. Okay, how many of you are cat? How many of you are cat people? Yeah, we love you too, right? And you guys can like, you know, get together afterwards, and you know, you be the minority. Um, and um, yeah, so so that's the point. Okay, let's keep that going. Okay, so now think cats again, only this time the cats are blue. So how many of you are UK fans in the room? Let's see the UK fans, all right? Uh, Louisville fans, a lot lighter and coughing. And WKU fans, you can like, you can be both, right? Okay, that's good. Morning people, how many morning people do we have with us today? Yeah, you know, when I did this at 8.15, every single hand went up. Yeah, I used to call this the 815 our early service. And then I realized, no, that is late for most of those people because they're up at five o'clock. They will come, if we did it at six, they would come at six. 9.30, getting here with your kids, that's early. This is the early service. How many of you are night people? God bless you. There's coffee if you need that during the sermon. Okay, let's, let's just kind of point out how ridiculous this can be. The things that we fight over and argue around uh, you have the kind of people who put the toilet paper underneath and then the, the people who go over. So who, how many of you think it should go underneath? Wow. Okay. And some of you are just doing it because you're like contrarian people, right? You know the right answer is the other way, but it's like, no. Okay. So like, but there's actually a website that gives you the original patent. And so the mystery has been solved, you guys. There it is. From henceforth, the toilet paper goes this way. 
All right, and if you go to a public restroom, I need you to switch it. It's part of a movement. Okay. Um, let's talk about brownies for a second. How many of you are center of the brownie pan people? Like me, I, 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 if, if it's fresh, I will take the job of cutting it so I can get all the cuts in and then I can go for the centerpiece right out of the middle, pull it out. How many of you like the edge piece better? See, this is how God sets it up in the world so that like we, we get to, you know, like all, everybody can be happy. But the crusty edges, some of you really like that. I don't, I don't understand it. Okay, let's talk about how we align around language. Like there are different words that we say that help you know like where you're from and if you're kind of with us or not. There's, this is a map of, of identifying the people who use the phrase fixin' to when they say they're gonna do something. And you would expect that in the deep south, right? But isn't it fascinating you get it on both coasts as well? Do you know somebody from Maine who's fixing to do something? <laughs> I, I, my dad lives in Maine, and he's fixing to do a lot of things probably, so maybe that's it. Okay, so the point is made. We can come around any, any number of distinctiveness, distinctives, and become a peculiar people. And in the church, uh, here's what I think we, we tend to do. It's just basic sociology. We, we figure out what makes us distinctive. Is it the way we dress? or how we baptize people, or what we believe about a certain point of doctrine, or how we live that out in some kind of social practice around a social issue, and how we talk about certain things, or what kind of Bible we read, or you know the list goes on and on. And that peculiarity, that distinctiveness, that specialness, whatever it is, is the thing that becomes our identifier. That's how you know who you are. That's how you know how you're different than other people. So there's kind of both dynamics. Okay, that makes us us, and that makes them them. And that is just kind of basic human nature. The question is, how, does that, how well is that working for us? And perhaps we're living in a time where we're rediscovering what it means to be distinctive. And what, what is the thing that actually makes us distinctive? in the church, in this people who are chosen uh, to, to serve the world. What is, when you come down to the bottom of it, what is the thing that makes us God's holy people? What is the thing that makes us God's special possession? What is it that makes us a peculiar people? Well, let's go back to Genesis 12 because this is the start of it. I've shown you two scriptures. Let's go back to the beginning in which we see the first example of this choosing, of God choosing someone for a spe specific calling, for a, a distinctiveness in the world. Genesis 12, one again. Go from your country, God says to Abram, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. You probably didn't know that phrase was in the Bible so daggone much. There it is again. And I'll just kind of point out, uh, the church has sometimes taken that phrase, and we're going to talk about next week, a city on a hill, and put that into geopolitical terms, to like what it means to be a nation and have political power. And that is not what Jesus means by the kingdom. He means something the opposite of that, a people that serve the world, not exert power on it. And so here, here's that setup. Literally the foundation of it all. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, which is a very churchy word. 
but gets at just the, the basics of this. This is the thing that makes us distinctive is that God has chosen us to bless us. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse, which is a little bit tricky to kind of work through, but it gets at the distinctiveness of God holding a people up so that all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so we use the phrase blessed to be a blessing. And this is the thing that makes us distinctive. Kind of like at the foundation of, of all of it, by God's decision alone, God's choice to, to choose people to choose the whole world, to love people to love the whole world, to bless people to bless the whole world. And that is the thing. That is the thing that makes us distinctive. That is who we are. This is the, the thing that we say yes to and then align around. Well, we can see that's, that's challenging. So let me, let me tell you where, where I think we get messed up with this. In the story of Abraham, we'll see how this plays out. What we might think that means and what it ends up meaning for Abraham and then for us. A lot of times we start the story of telling the story of Abraham in Genesis 12, but there are some verses at the end of chapter 11 that give us the setup. And, you know, sometimes when you read those parts where you're like, this so-and-so was the son of so-and-so and begat and, all, you know, all that, you kind of like work through that and kind of roll through to get to the good stuff. But uh, we're going to go back to Genesis 11 for a second and look for clues to this question, what is it made, that made Abram distinctive? Because, again, we're trying to ask for ourselves what's ma what makes us distinctive in this framework of being blessed to be a blessing. Why does God choose Abram for that role? Well, so here's what you find in Genesis 11. We go from Noah on uh, in the family line. And you're looking for clues of something that will tell us something about these people. One, the, really, the only thing that stands out is that they all, a lot of them lived a very long time. Like, that's, that's what we see. And we have questions about how did that work? They lived forever, 900 years or whatever. Uh, uh, so, but, the, but beyond that, the details continue to be scarce. Uh, we look at when, when it gets to Abram, uh, he has a couple brothers, and we realize that the family line is dying out, and Abram is left. And then he gets married to Sarai, uh, who will become Sarah, Abram, who will become Abraham, and they were not able to conceive a child. And that we re read that his family has moved from Ur to go to Canaan, which is where God will send him, but he'd never quite gotten there. So we wonder, like, the only clue there is that maybe God is, is continuing him on on that journey. But there doesn't seem to be anything remarkable about his family. So we wonder, is this somehow about his past performance, the reason God chooses him? Uh, but it doesn't seem to be the case. There doesn't seem to be anything remarkable about his family, not let alone Abram. There's no com comment about his deep commitment to God. There's no note about his faithfulness or obedience. Nothing about his goodness or his heroics. There is zero indication that he or his family have done anything to distinguish themselves or to deserve God's calling, Abram, over against any other person. So it's abundantly clear that God's blessing in the story is not based on Abram's past performance, which um, as uh, Martha prayed this morning, we kind of, we do this, right? We think either our past performance is gonna set us up for God to use us or disqualify us from God, for, from God using us. That's not what we read in this story. So then maybe well, let's think about the present. Maybe this has to do with Abram's persistence in the present. 
you know, and Jesus would tell stories of like, when you pray, just keep praying and be persistent. There is a place for persistence in prayer. I'm not saying that that's not a thing. I'm just saying you don't read that in this story either. Maybe you would think that Abram is the one that's been asking God, just bless me. Just bless me. That sounds like a prosperity gospel thing too, right? Like, just bless me. Um, like, sort of like kids who want you to bless them with whatever the thing is that they want, right? They wake you up in the morning and say, I'm four and I want a slushy. And it's a clear no. But at four in the afternoon or five in the afternoon or six in the afternoon and about a million times asking, hey, can I have a, they could ask for a puppy. They could ask for, like at some point you just say, I give up, right? Persistence, it's God's gift to children. Hmm. And God's spiritual growth plan for parents. Maybe that's what happened with Abram. Nope, Uh, he didn't ask God for a blessing. In fact, he doesn't initiate conversation with God at all. God initiates the conversation with him. So persistence in the present is out. And so if God's blessing wasn't based on his past performance and it isn't based on his persistence in the presence, then maybe it has to do with future possibility. Maybe it has to do with possible potential. Well, if you know anything about Abram, he kind of is the poster child of the opposite of that. As we heard in the story, he's old. He is, doesn't have an heir. And God is saying, I'm going to make you into a nation. He's like, I'm a nobody. <laughs> like, I'm by myself. There's not a lot of potential here. Why are you choosing me? You know, we sometimes do that too. We think of like, maybe God picks us, uh, picks us because we, he sees something in us that is like, makes us special, like the glow up, right? Like, you know, like maybe I look like an ugly duckling now, but one day I'm going to turn into a beautiful swan and God sees that ahead of time. Like, you know, when the, the coach sees a kid that's about to hit a growth spurt and says, oh, that kid's going to be a basketball player and, you know, is, is good at that. By the way, when I hit my growth spurt, I got uh, taller and less coordinated, right? There's a glow down. I don't know like how that, how that works. Um, God is not doing that with Abram because Abram uh, will continue to struggle to live into the future possibility that God promises. Abram isn't distinctive because of something that, that God sees in him that is already necessarily already there. What we come to is something I've said already, that it becomes abundantly clear that God chooses Abraham not because um, he is special, but, but Abram is special because God chooses him. That Abram simply says yes to the thing that God is offering. It is simply God's choosing. This is, this is all God at work in people. And the heavy lifting of it is God's initiation with us, choosing us for the plan that he has in place already. And we say yes to that and then we live into it. That's the thing that makes us distinctive. It's God's choice. It is the God of the universe who has, for whatever reason, decided to pick up the nobodies and turn them into a nation because that is just what God does. And that's where we fit into the framework. If we ever lose sight of that, then we will begin to think of ourselves as somebodies who don't need God to turn us into something. Could it be that Abram's main distinctive is that he didn't think of himself as a somebody already. 
you hadn't aligned around some other distinctive that seemed to trump God's plan. It's not so much that there's something special about Abram, it's that Abram recognizes there's something about special about God. And so he says yes to the adventure. That's the thing that seems to make him distinctive. He says yes. And then walks into it. Now, to be sure, that yes will cost uh, Abram a lot, right? It isn't just that easy. It is a thing that he walks into and struggles with, and it, it costs him greatly from the beginning. He gets up and goes. He loses uh, his home. He, he gives up control, which, you know, good thing we don't struggle with that, right? Giving up control. He pays a cost. Uh, but Abram starts to begin to live into the truth of, of God's work in him in that moment. Without hesitation, he picks up and leaves and goes to where God tells him to and says yes to the framework, that I'm going to bless you to somehow bless other people. And the same is true in the call of Jesus to the church, that there is something about our calling that is about our distinctiveness in the world. And the, the rest of the series is going to play into that. So uh, this week, somebody asked me, can you tell me the scripture for next week so that I can read it ahead of time? And I fell out of my chair, like though nobody's asked me that question before. So I thought I will share it with you. Like next week's scripture is Matthew 5, 14 and 15. It is Jesus saying, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And the whole point of that is it has, that, that our God's work in us has something to do with our distinctiveness that has influence. Like that, the whole point of that is that we're blessed to be a blessing, that there's a calling on us. And both parts are important. Uh, it, it doesn't work without God choosing you. It doesn't, doesn't work without somehow God working in us in a process that shapes us and forms us and sanctifies us and, and, and makes us his love alive in us. But it isn't just for us either, right? It is also so that we're able to be able to be a blessing through that work. So next week we'll frame that uh, in the images that Jesus gives us and talk about how we are to be the light of the world and start to again to talk about the specifics of that. Today we simply are confronted with the question: what is going to be the thing that makes us distinctive? And for us as a church, we are claiming simply this, that God has chosen us, that God is at work in us, that God's love is active in us. And this is our main identifier, that we are a nation of those chosen and loved by God, an army of peace, a revolution of joy, a kingdom of powerlessness, a movement of servant leaders unleashed into the world, the light of the world simply because God has said so. This is God's choosing in us. And we, like Abram, have a decision to make. Are we going to say yes to the yes that God has already said to us? Are we going to say yes to the framework that God has given us? And are we going to let that be the thing that identifies us? This is what we're here for, to be a nation of nobodies, blessed to be a blessing. Let's pray together. God, we reflect on your choosing and, and your claim on us. We put ourselves in the, the shoes of Abram. And, and we wonder. Maybe you don't choose us because we're special. Maybe you're, we're special because you choose us. God, as a people who are wondering what will, will be the thing that 
that unites us. We, we wonder, maybe this is it. Maybe every other thing must fall away so that we can simply live into your basic calling for us as we serve the world. We're just going to be people blessed to be a blessing. And you ask us to say yes to that together. We pray for our church that we would be that. For Bowling Green, Kentucky. For the needs that we see around us. For the possibilities of something new. We pray that maybe we might be those who say yes and are ready to lead the way. Blessed to be a blessing. We pray that this would, this work in, in us through you might be the thing that draws us together and makes us a holy nation, your special possession, a peculiar people. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. By those who are serving the offering this morning uh, forward and uh, our band as well as we prepare to give, uh, and one of the ways that we live into our uh, blessed to be a blessing framework is through our service and through our generosity. Uh, we, we say often around here that it, this is more about our need to give than the church's need to get. God is doing a work in us as we give. And so weekly we give an offering as a part of worship. It is part of our, our, our living into of our covenant with God and with one another. And uh, a special note that we are dollar different, so we have a, a, a ministry basically all the time in every offering, every loose dollar bill goes to a specific thing every month. And that dollar difference offering this month is to Hotel Inc. And Rondell Miller is over in the back. Say hi, Ron, Rondell, way over there, director of Hotel Inc., who was on video on Easter Sunday talking so beautifully about the work that Hotel does uh, to walk alongside people and work for transformation uh, around issues of, of poverty and lack of housing. And uh, so the dollar difference offering is our way and our Easter offering is our way to join in that work. Uh, and so just invite you to that and remind you that uh, this is not just talk, this is what we do. This is, uh, we put legs on it and we live it out. Let's pray together again. God, thank you for this chance, this day to offer ourselves, to offer our gifts to be a part of your work in the world. And we pray that we might be blessed through our time here, but that that blessing would not only remain on us, that it might be extended in acts of love and service to the world. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.